Welcome back to the Emergency Goalies, a Blackhawks podcast. My co-host Michael Ernst is back from his trip to South Dakota. I assume the trip went well. It did. It did. Uh, um, you know, it was good getting to see the family for a week since I've been back. My my dog has uh, punished me a little bit for for leaving him, so he's probably going to be chiming in once or twice here as we're uh, as we are recording. Uh, he he likes to whine when I'm not giving him enough attention. So, all right, well, that's a good heads up for everyone. And I, you know, for a minute when you sent me the message, you couldn't do it. I thought you said North Dakota, mm. and. The Montana instinct didn't be kicked in to make North Dakota jokes, but it was resolved and you're South Dakota. So it was okay. Yeah, that's right. Nobody cares about South Dakota. There are no rivalries there. Yes. Well, anyway, I guess we'll get to a very busy week for the uh, Blackhawks. Of course, the big trade, but uh, we'll go through a recap of a not very good uh, stretch of games for the Blackhawks and. Oh, have you go with that, Michael? Sure. Yeah, as you said, it was uh, pretty, pretty awful. Uh, the Blackhawks gave up twenty goals in total over a four-game stretch last week. Uh, each, uh, they never gave up less than four goals in any of them, and they pretty much fell behind uh, by multiple goals in every single one of them. I believe. I think they were down at least two to nothing. Uh, probably about five or six minutes into the, each one of the games. Um, slow starts were basically the theme all week. Um, they kicked off the week with a game last Wednesday against Washington. Uh, like I said, they dropped, dropped behind 2 nothing in the first period. Uh, played uh, better after that. Um, it was a... a pretty close from that point on uh it ended up being a four to two loss um one of the goals was scored by uh our old friend michael kempney uh that was actually the third goal so the, the blackhawks were actually down three to nothing in that but uh brandon sod uh scored a nice goal and then eric gustafson scored a a, a, a nice goal as well uh to get him back in the game but then uh uh, Devonte Smith Pelly uh, buried a, a a goal late uh, to uh, kind of cement the victory for Washington. Chicago uh, after the that uh, pretty bad first period, I'd actually say they carried the play pretty well in the second and the third period. But um, you know, it just the slow start got them, and they 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 couldn't make up the ground. And then uh, two nights later, uh, they they faced uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning team that embarrassed them so thoroughly in Chicago a couple of weeks back. And the game went fairly similarly to the uh, Philly game in that uh, they fell behind 3 nothing, and they fell behind 3 nothing quick in this one. Uh, uh, Tyler Johnson almost had a, a hat trick within the first 10 minutes of the game. Uh, he, he finished with two goals, uh, but he had another chance that he almost buried. And then Braden Point 
added a third goal. Uh, the Hawks actually fought back a little bit later in the first period. Um, they got a goal, but then Tampa scored um, to make it four to one after the first period. And then once again, the Blackhawks kind of righted the ship after that. And um, I wouldn't say they carried the play, but they, they, they at least matched the lightning uh, for the rest of the, the, the game. Um, uh, making a, a you know a pretty strong effort in the second and third period. It was a game where um, Colleton uh, kind of made an interesting move in that he um, healthy scratched uh, Henry Yoki Haru. Um, I, I I know a lot of people were pretty upset by that move, given that Yoki Haru is obviously a big part of the future of the team. And he's been one of the better defensemen for the Hawks this year, but his play had dropped off a little bit and, you know, it, it, it is just one game and we don't necessarily know what's going on in practice. We don't, we also don't know, you know, there could have been, you know, some injury circumstances or, um, you know, just the fact that he's a rookie and this is, it's a long, a long season. And, uh, you know, for a 19 year old, uh, just the grind of an 82 game season is, is going to be a lot. And this was, you know, uh, he's had a lot on his plate as, uh, for a while he was leading the team in ice time. And this is the first game of the back-to-back. So I, I didn't have a huge issue with him being scratched. Um, well, also they, um, uh, the announcers, like, you know, because we got the Tampa, I think it was the Tampa announcers. I mean, it was a national game, but mm-hmm. it sounded like the Tampa announcers, but they were saying, you know, we, we this is a good chance. Um, they talked to Colleton, and he said it was a good chance for Yoki Haru to watch and learn. And, yeah. of course, I had to make the joke, I hope he was watching Victor Hedman and yeah. the Blackhawks defenseman. Exactly. But it probably wouldn't be the worst thing for him to get some learning time, but don't watch the current other current Blackhawks defenseman. Right. Right. So yeah, um, that game wasn't as bad as the first Tampa Bay game, but it was still, a uh, uh, their second consecutive four to two loss. And then, uh, the following night, uh, they, uh, moved down the coast to Miami and took on the Panthers. And that game was Kind of in the same vein as uh, the previous ones. Once again, they fell behind 2-0 in the first period. Uh, Mike Hoffman was all over the ice for the Panthers. Um, and uh, they 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 pretty much dominated most of the first period. Uh, but then, once again, the Hawks battled back. Uh, it was kind of back and forth in the second period a little bit. Um, it was four to two after the second period. Um, but then in the third, uh, the Hawks, uh, managed to climb out of the hole. Uh, Alexander Fortan scored, uh, uh, a goal that, uh, actually went off of his skate, but, uh, it was deemed not to be a kicking motion. And, um, it was a shorthanded goal actually, I think too, if I remember correctly, it was, 
Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was a nice effort by him, and that brought the Hawks to within within one. And uh, they they put up a good effort late in the game, but it looked like they were going to um, you know come up short and drop their third straight game. But uh, with two seconds left, uh, Alex DeBrincat was able to bury a goal and uh, send the game to overtime, where uh, the Hawks eventually won it on a, a really sweet play by Eric Gustafson. And uh, so they were able to walk away with their first victory of the week. And, um, you know, it was still, you know, the same, the same struggles, the, the, the bad start. Uh, they still gave up four goals in total. I was going to, I was going to add in too that like, like when they went down about two nothing and then, you know, there's pretty, um, let's just say Twitter was very negative. Oh yeah. A lot lot of bad stuff was coming out and it was actually now looking back on it, a kind of a little foreshadowing of what was to happen the next game, which I'll let you get to, but right. Yeah. Um, the Vegas game. Yeah. So after that uh, little road trip, the, the, the Hawks, uh, returned home and took on the defending Western conference champions, um, who had gotten off to a rough start this year, but they'd, they'd started to kind of right the ship a little bit. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury was coming off back-to-back shutouts, and uh, they came into Chicago, and they pretty much just kicked the Blackhawks' ass. Um, it was brutal. Um, probably, I, I wouldn't say it was as bad as that first Tampa Bay game, um, where Tampa was just skating circles around the Hawks and the Hawks barely touched the puck, especially in that uh, disastrous second period. But uh, Vegas, uh, they pretty much controlled the play all night. Now, I will say that a couple of the goals were a little fluky. There were a couple of goals that uh, bounced off of, um, like, changed directions twice on the way to Crawford. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, it, it was a little bit fluky in that regard, but it was still just utter domination by the Knights. And uh, yeah, once again, uh, Blackhawks fell behind three, nothing in the first period. Um, very quickly. Well, I guess it wasn't quite as quickly. They scored one early goal. And then I think their other two goals came, came a little later in the period, but um, Hawks did show a little bit of life in the second period. Uh, Gustav Forsling scored a goal. Um, and then uh, uh, new acquisition Dylan Strom managed to pot one as well after uh, he had had a couple of golden opportunities in the first first half of the game that he wasn't able to bury, but uh, he, he finally uh, um, uh, was able to, to put one in. Uh, but then uh, the Knights pulled away once again. Uh, they were up six to two after the second, and then poured on a couple of more goals in the third to make it eight to two. Uh, Gustafson managed to to get his third goal of the week um, late to make it slightly less embarrassing, and at eight to three. But uh, it was 
probably the Hawks' second worst game of the season, and it was brutal. Um, now it was also a game where um, Yoki Haru didn't get healthy scratched. He was unhealthy scratched in that he missed the game as um, with illness, and um, it was basically a, a team wide lack of effort um well that's what you were kind of you said on twitter too like you know um the defense gets a lot of blame and it should get a lot of blame oh yeah the the forwards defensive commitment shall we say effort was yeah especially especially in the vegas game the 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 defensive effort was the the team-wide defensive effort was really poor um just guys standing around as um, uh, some of the golden Knights were um, free to roam through the slot and get great scoring chances. A couple of guys who had opportunities to win puck battles or tie up sticks or their man in front of the net or along the boards that um, Vegas was able to win fairly uh, easily. You wonder about like the, some of the vets that like, you know, they've been in all these competitive games and playoff runs and you wonder, do they have like, I don't want to say they don't care, but it's kind of hard to generate when you've been in such more important games and you're not on as good a team. Is that too um, far of me to say? Or No, I, I, I think it's actually fair. And I, I think it's actually something where this team has actually gotten that that core group has actually gotten used to the fact that they could get away with that before. Um, I mean, famously the Blackhawks uh, during their, um, you know, a couple of their big seasons during their cup run era, uh, January was, kind of the, the middle season doldrums for them and quite often would come out with lackadaisical performances. Um, it wasn't unusual for this group to have games like that, but the team itself was just so talented that they could get away with, um, you know, a few guys taking shifts off or even a, a game off uh, without putting in much effort. And they would still come away with, you know, the occasional points in those games and even sometimes win them. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, late game flurries, um, especially with guys like Patrick Kane scoring late goals to pull out, um, you know, a, a tie with, you know, a minute left in the game. And then, you know, the, the, the Hawks have had pretty good success in overtime and in shootouts in those years. So I, it's not, it's not a new thing with this team. Um, but if, if you're the a wor- if now, you're, it, yeah, if you're a worse team, it's much right. to give more effort. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, it, uh, yeah, it's come back to bite them in some pretty embarrassing, um, games this year. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, like I said, they gave up at least four goals in every one of the four games, but they were coming off a three-game stretch where they had only allowed two goals. 
Um, they had won one to nothing against the Blues. Uh, they had tied the Kings one to one before dropping it in a shootout, and then uh, they had beat the the Wild three to one. So it, it, there were still a few breakdowns in those games, but it, it felt like the effort level was was more consistent. Um, but yeah, this past week it was it was pretty bad, and there and it wasn't just effort level. I, in some of the games, they were trying. Um, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like effort is the only problem there were some pretty glaring um just coverage breakdowns where i want to say it was i think it was against the capitals um and olchek harped on it pretty pretty good in the during the game uh with the replays but you know there was that one uh opportunity where the blackhawks had three guys back against two attacking players and all three of them went to the guy with the puck and he just chipped it to the middle of the ice. And yeah, I, I think that was the, the second Panthers. guy the basically Panthers had a breakaway. Game? Yeah. I think it was the Panthers game. And was the it guy, the Panthers game? And he roofed the, the guy, the backhand that he roofed. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah. And it's, I mean, we have to be honest. This defensive group is like very bad. I mean, yeah. before we were talking about Keith being a second defenseman, I mean, He's he might be a fourth defenseman was at this point. Brutal this week. He was awful. Um, he has been coughing the puck up with greater frequency um, this season than he has in years past. Um, he's always been a guy who gives the puck away a little bit, but he always had that great recovery speed, and he very rarely just got clean beaten to the outside but wow this year he's i mean he's really having a hard time keeping the puck on his stick and when he does lose it he he just doesn't have his skating is still effortless but he just doesn't have the same explosion that he once had so he can't he can't recover from those mistakes and then in the Vegas game my God, he was just the turnstile. Guys were just going around him, which is something we have never seen from Keith. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's been struggling, um, especially of late. But he's basically being asked to still be the Duncan Keith and, uh, of a few years ago and hold down a first pairing. And he's just, he's not he's not going to be able to do that without help from his partner. And I don't think Colleton has given, has done him much favor, uh, many favors since he took over in that um, Keith has kind of had a rotating cast of partners. Um, I think when Colleton took over, I, I, I think he, uh, Yoki Haru played with him for the first couple of games, but then he switched it up and he put Seabrook back with him, which yeah. is the disaster that it turned out to be the disaster that we've all known it was going to be. Um, and then I think he even played a game with Ruda. Yeah. They've been then, playing him Forsling a lot lately. Yeah. And then the last couple of games, it's been Forsling. And I, I really think they just need to go back to Keith Yoki Haru and, and let that, it, it, that's their best chance for, 
it, they're really not a first pairing. They're basically a second pairing, but they're the best the Hawks have. And there are going to be games where they're where Keith still plays like Keith and Yoki Haru has good games where, you know, they'll be able to occasionally neutralize, you know, the opposition, but it's going to be an inconsistent first pairing um, that quite often plays like a second pairing. You know, with Um, Keith too, it's just, I think he has to learn that he's not, I don't know how to put like good way to put it. He's not Keith of old. He's got to change the game. He's got to be more, you know, play the angles more and not try to rely on his speed because it's just not there. He's got to change the way he plays. Right. And I, I do think Keith is smart enough to eventually figure that out. Um, and I do think that will come. Um, part of that will be helped, you know, hopefully in the future where they can develop some other options where Keith isn't going to have to play against, you know, the guys that can really make him look bad. Um, you know, if he can get some, some easier matchups, you know, over the next couple of years, that will really help him. But yeah, I mean, he's just, he's not that guy anymore and they can't, they can't pretend that he is. Um, and there, think, there are examples of guys that have done it. Like, I mean, obviously everyone, the first name that pops to everyone's mind is Chris Chelios. Right. has a similar build to Keith and managed a long career as a bottom you know, bottom three defensemen. Yeah. And I think Keith could do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not worried about Duncan Keith falling off of a cliff and no longer being able to compete at the NHL level. Uh, I, I really do think he's a guy who could play till 40 or even maybe even a little beyond that if he wants to, and his contract goes that long. So we, uh, we're, we're, we're probably going to see, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I think right now he's probably a, you know, he'd be best suited for the role of a number three or four defenseman. And, uh, over the next couple of years, that's probably going to transition into being more of a four or five, uh, type defenseman. So it's really incumbent upon the Blackhawks to, you know, develop some, some younger options. And, you know, thankfully that's, their recent drafts seem to be bearing fruit in that, in, in that direction. Um, they're really going, uh, so much of this, of the Hawks future is going to be tied up with how well and how quickly Yoki Haru, Adam Boquist, Ian Mitchell, and Nicholas Baudin, um, transition to the NHL. Uh, I mean, those are all high picks, they're all looking very well in their uh, various junior and college teams right now. And uh, I, I think there's a very good chance that um, all, well, obviously Yoki Hardy's already here, but the other three guys will probably at least get appearances with the Blackhawks next year. I'm not sure that, uh, you know, hopefully one of them, can work into a regular role. Um, but I think we'll probably end up seeing all three of them at by the end of the year. And then, you know, hopefully by 2020, um, you know, they can have stepped into, you know, kind of larger roles and, you know, it's probably not reasonable to expect all four of those guys to reach their ceilings, but, um, it's going to, if at least a couple of them, 
don't, the the Blackhawks are basically buried. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I at least have hope in that regard. There, there, there seems to be a, a pretty good consensus on those guys that there's, you know, that are any of them going to turn into Duncan Keith? Maybe not, but do they all have top four defensemen upside? It certainly seems like it. So I, I have, I have a lot of faith there. Um, the thing that's kind of cropped up over the last couple of years, and it's just, it's really taken a nosedive this year is the forward depth. Um, they, in you know, obviously the trade this week, well, you know, Which, now that you bring that up, we might as well just yeah, get to yeah. the big news. Um, uh, so that's something that's pretty much unthinkable. Even I would say, what, three months ago? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that Nick Schmaltz, guy that they were saving away money to re-sign to a long-term deal, was traded to the Arizona Coyotes for, let's, I, there's no other way to put this, draft bust Dylan Strom so far. And uh, another Perlini, whose first name escapes me right now. Brandon. Brandon Perlini. Yeah. Uh, also a first-round pick. So yep. it was two first-round picks traded for another first-round pick. Yep. Basic. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the idea is a um, you know fresh start for all these guys. But I want. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I do think it's a little early to call Strom a bust. Uh, he's certainly been a disappointment. Um, you know, obviously he was the third pick behind, uh, McDavid and Eichel who made, you know, immediate impacts, whereas Strom has taken time to develop. Um, he had a good season in the AHL last year, averaged over a point to point a game, and he was a dominant junior player. Um, but, uh, his first 60 or so games uh, in the NHL, some of them last year and then at the beginning of this year, uh, were not overly impressive. And uh, uh, Tampa Bay, um, Arizona was was kind of running out of patience. I'm not sure that they were so much running out of patience with him. It was as much, I think, that they've started to they've been bringing in a few veteran players. They've been making a lot of moves and they were expecting a lot more on ice progress than what they were showing. And then I think the first couple of weeks of this season, they got off to another slow start. Um, They had a disastrous start last year, but then they got off to another slow start this year. And, you know, they, they started to play a little better, but their division is the worst division in hockey. And I think they sense that even though they're behind a little bit right now, there's the opportunity for them to make a move. And so I think they were looking to get a little more um, instant impact. And, you know, Schmaltz has proven himself more um, than either Strom or Perlini has up to this point. So of course with uh, Strom too, you were mentioning his great junior numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a center for a pretty terrific line for um, yeah. the Erie Otters of the uh, OHL. Yeah. Uh, Connor McDavid and Alex DeBrincat on the line with you is yep. pretty good. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, there, there are a lot of people who say, oh, well, you know, he was riding the coattails of those guys. And it, that's not necessarily true. McDavid obviously wasn't there for his entire tenure. Um, and uh, Brinkett, um was, but uh, Strom produced at that level regardless of who he was playing with. And then he produced in the AHL without those guys. So uh, it, he's just a guy that he's kind of got that longer, lankier build and foot speed. Uh, uh, he He's more of a build up to speed type of skater where I think when he gets up to his top speed, it's fine. I mean, he doesn't blow by guys, but he's got NHL speed. Once he gets up there, it's just kind of that first step or two where he doesn't have quite the acceleration and the explosion that you, that you love to see. And I, I think that, uh, especially since he hadn't, he still hasn't really filled out, uh, physically. I mean, he's only 21 years old and he's like six, three, 205 or 210 pounds or something like that. Um, he, he could still add another 10 or 15 pounds of muscle right uh, to uh, in the coming years. And so he's a guy that uh, he wasn't able to create space with his skating. And at the junior level, he was big enough where he could kind of shield the puck, um, you know, against other kids. Um, but at the NHL level, he was getting knocked off the puck a little bit wasn't winning quite as many board battles as he was able to do at the junior level. I think it was just taking him a little bit of time to come into his body and, um, you know, kind of adjust to the speed and the strength at the NHL level. Um, you know, and at least, or at least that's the hope is that, yeah, what you're, what you're hoping for is that he puts on about, you know, that 15 pounds because six, three is he's a big, he could be a big, like power forward, if he adds yeah. like that 15 pounds of muscle. Right. He, and he be a force. He doesn't have a soft mentality. He's not afraid to go to the front of the net. He's not afraid to play in the corners or to get involved in board battles. He just, at this point, he doesn't win as many of those opportunities as you would like to see him win in the future. I mean, in the one game we saw him in, he looked, I mean, for a really horrible game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was right in the game. That was the one, that was the one line that didn't embarrass themselves. Uh, you know, they, they put together, they, you know, praise be, they finally put Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrincat together on a line and they had Strom centering them. And that's going to be the combination. They need to stick with this. Because there is potential there. I mean, obviously, Strom and DeBrincat have played together before. They know each other well. They're very good friends on and off the ice. Um, and Patrick Kane has had success with this type of center before. Um, late career Michael Hanzus, late career Brad Richards, Artem Anisimov the last couple of years he doesn't require a lot of foot speed out of his centerman. Patrick Kane essentially functions as his own centerman. And when he gets in the offensive zone, he likes to slow the pace down. He often will do that little button hook. Once he gets, you know, 
a few strides within the offensive zone. Yeah, or you skate around the blue line. Yep. From yep. one side he, to the other. Yep. And so he kind of – his natural tendency is to kind of slow that pace down a little bit. And I think that works well with, you know, kind of the high IQ centermen that are willing to go to the front of the net, willing to go do some of the dirty work for him cause some screens, cause some havoc. And that allows Kane, uh, you know, a lot of freedom to control the puck, move around and, and look for soft spots. Um, and so nobody has really questioned Dylan Strom's hockey IQ. It's just, you know, kind of those physical capabilities and, and, and keeping up at the NHL speed. I honestly, I think it's going to work out pretty well. And no, at the very ask. least, he moves as well as Anisimov does at this yes. point. So, But I was going to ask you then. So Brandon Perlini mm-hmm. uh, put up decent goal numbers last year in his first, like, yeah. is this his first NHL season last year? Or was no, no. Um, second. I, it, well, I think he, I, I think he played like two thirds of a season uh, two years ago. So I, I want to say he scored like 14 goals his first year and then 17 goals last year, got off to a bit of a slower start this year. Um, he was uh, the 12th overall pick a few years ago. I want to say the same draft as Schmaltz. Um, so he got drafted ahead of Schmaltz. Yeah. It was 2014. Uh, so I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So he, uh, he's a, a another bigger guy. Um, Skating is not an issue with Brandon Perlini. He he moves very well for a big man. Um, there's a there's a little bit of kind of the same a similar build to Brandon Saad, kind of the same type of speed. Like he doesn't have quite the same puck possession skills as Brandon Saad, and uh, he's more of a, a, a straight line player. Um, probably isn't. Uh, quite as creative as you would like to see out of a, um, a top six player. Um, he almost sounds like, um, like a Victor Stahlberg type. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit like that. Um, I, 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 he's got a much better shot than Stahlberg had. Um, that's one of the things Perlini can do is he can shoot the puck. And that is something, um, we've harped or we've harped on in this podcast, uh, for the past few weeks is the Blackhawks really lack shooters beyond um, Debrinket, Taves and, and Kane. They just, they don't have many finishers. Um, and so Brandon Perlini has that type of ability. If he can get other people to set him up. Um, so I, I think he's probably best suited as a third line left wing that can fill in in the top six when injuries crop up or if he gets hot for a stretch, you can kind of let him, um, you know, play up a little bit in those situations, kind of like uh, the, the Blackhawks were able to do with Christopher Stieg in years past. Um, that that type of impact is what you, you'd kind of hope for, is, you know, kind of that 35, 40, 40, maybe 45 point player in his best seasons sort of thing. And, you know, chip in 15 to 20 goals. Uh, um, you know, there's a little bit more upside than that. Maybe, uh, if everything turns out well, but, uh, that that's kind of what you would, you'd hope. And that's, 
you know, something we've been asking for is a little bit more depth scoring. And, uh, I, I think Perlini can, uh, can provide that. Now I did see today that somebody tweeted out that, uh, the, the Hawks had him up on Taves's line, um, during practice today. Uh, it was Taves, Perlini and Saad. Um, so, you know, he's going to get some chances this year to, to work with top six players just because the Blackhawks have, in my estimation, they basically have eight NHL caliber forwards that yeah. uh, deserve playing time. I mean, you got Taves and Kane, Saad and Cahoon, and then uh, you add Perlini and Strom to that. And you still got to include an Isimov, even though I, I'm not really sure where he fits right now. Um, and then the eighth guy would be, uh, to uh, Oh yeah. To it. And then, uh, um, uh, the guy I was reading was, uh, uh, David Kampf, who, oh, yeah. uh, uh, he's a guy that's, uh, seems to be playing with more confidence under Colleton and Colleton really seems to believe in him as a player. Um, when he first took over, he was giving camp, uh, opportunities with um patrick kane and kind of playing a even second line center on occasion i think that's a stretch for him um i think right now he's a fourth line player with the potential to be a solid third line player um but he really is solidifying himself in my mind as somebody that you can have on a championship caliber club, um, you know, as a depth player. Um, I, I like what he's been doing. And, uh, one of the things that is nice with him is he can help out on face-offs. Um, I think he's probably better on the wing, but you can play him at center. Um, and so I, that's one good thing that the Blackhawks, uh, with the, with, with the trade for Strom too is they've added a second really good face-off guy. Uh, Strom's like a 56, 57% guy in the circle. So that takes a lot of pressure off of Taves. Um, especially since Kruger, um, has really struggled this year, um, in that regard. And really Kruger after I thought he played pretty well the first couple of weeks, but he's been very invisible. Yeah. Um, the last couple of weeks and, well, uh, you know, I guess since um, we should probably cut to the one last yeah. final goodbye to uh, our friend Nick Schmaltz, who I still like, but yeah. the team turned on him pretty hard. The yeah, it uh, he's gonna he's gonna play in the NHL for a long time. Um, he's he's a little frustrating. Um, you know, I I was pretty uh, upfront about my opinion that uh he's better suited as a winger than a center um a lot of that is due to the inconsistent motor and uh defensive zone awareness um whereas uh, you know as a wing he kind of plays to his strengths and that he can kind of use more bursts of energy and uh um pick and choose when he back checks and um you know we, we've seen him pick a lot of pockets um, so I, I think that's his, his role, ultimate role in the NHL. And, you know, unfortunately for him, the Blackhawks really needed him to be a center 
and uh, to to be a more consistent player that they could rely on in that role because um, they don't really have another option um, since Anisimov's plays. It, it really seemed to dawn on him, like, after the season went on, the Blackhawks management, like, oh, this guy is never going to be a top-line center, yeah. and we can't yeah. pay him right. to get top-line center, so we got to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of rumors out there that, uh, you know, he's got the same agent as Dylan Larkin, and he signed, like, a... Uh, like for between five and six million um, this past off season, and that Schmaltz was going to be looking for similar money this coming off season, and that's a lot for you know a guy that wasn't going to be able to fill the role that uh, they had originally envisioned for him. So yeah, uh, it, my initial reaction to the trade was disappointment mostly because you know the 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 wary the hesitancy about strome but the the more i thought about it and the more i considered the fit for strome as a true centerman and as a guy that actually does fit well between Dabrinkit and Kane um i really think that that is a line that can work um, yeah, and you're, you're you're hearing my dog now. Yeah. So, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, yeah, a, a good forty five minutes of not getting enough attention. Has, well, that that's probably um, <laughs> a good signal. Maybe we should start to the previews. Yes, yes. If your dog getting mad, and that's how most of us felt about Schmaltz. Sometimes a little bit of whimpering, like yeah. why is any better? Yeah. Anyway, I will do my preview now. Uh, the Blackhawks play three games this week. And again, they're not exactly, you know, there's some tough games. This is a stretch they've been playing of a lot of tough games. Uh, Thursday, tomorrow as we're recording this, uh, they go up to Winnipeg to play the Jets at uh, 7 p.m. Central Time. And Winnipeg, you know, started out very good, kind of downturned a little bit. But, I mean, Patrick Laney scored five goals in a game the other day, so... They definitely still have offensive punch. Um, then they head to Nashville on Saturday. Oh, good things always happen in Nashville. Jeez. At uh, 7 p.m. Central Time. And Nashville's been pretty good. Uh, Pecorini was hurt for a while, but I think I'm pretty sure he's back now. I'm not 100% sure if he's back or not. Um, and then, of course, Sunday, they play another five. Another 6 p.m. this time, Central Time. They were doing the 5 p.m. Central Times for a while. Uh, they host Calgary on Sunday. And Calgary started out pretty slow, but I think they've been playing better lately, too. But so Yeah, they've kind of really turned on the offensive firepower there. They're, they're starting to figure it out there. So they're a da- more dangerous team than we're used to seeing out of them the last couple of years. Yeah, so, yeah, it's not an easy stretch of games for sure. And, you just you, you really at this point I don't know if you can ever have the Blackhawks favorite in almost any game they play. So no. No, especially since, you know, we've 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 seen that inconsistent effort. Um you know, I don't I don't think we can really count on the Blackhawks to be that team um, you know, at any point. Now that said, they can still be that team on occasion. I mean you know, Patrick Kane can win games on his own. 
on occasion. And, you know, you still got Taves and Debrinket and a couple of guys like that who, you know, can still fill the net when they're hot. Um, you know, the, this team's still going to score a decent amount of goals, but yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're at the point where, especially in the central division, you know, even though the blues aren't as good as we thought they might be, um, we've pretty much reached the point where the playoffs are very unlikely. Um, so yeah, you know, at this point, uh, it's, we're, we're getting closer to the point where you throw the young guys in there, let them sink or swim sort of thing, get some experience. And, you know, if the, if they play well and the Blackhawks manage to get back into the race, great. But if they end up struggling a little bit, you know, you're securing a, a, a good uh, draft pick, which, uh, boy, they, they could use, <laughs> they, yeah, they need, a, they need another impact talent, especially up front at this point. So yeah, what was it? It was one of the beat writers, maybe uh, Mark Lazarus or someone that was talking about the Simpsons quote with, um, they had the hidden camera footage of chief Wiggum and he's getting pulled into the hot dog machine. And he goes, this is going to get worse before it gets better. And that's pretty much the Blackhawks are going to be this year. I think it might get a little worse before things start to get better. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as fatalistic about the Hawks future as, um, some people are. Um, I, I do think, you know, there is still talent that, you know, I don't think that the, the core has gotten too old where they can't still be impact players. Um, but yeah, right now they don't have much depth and, but you know, we've seen it in the NHL where, you know, you, you find a couple of players and it can, it can really swing your team. So, I mean, we've got the young defensemen. If those guys turn it on, pretty quick. And then, you know, you look in at the forward group next year, the Hawks have salary cap room for the first time in a long time. They can go out and get a good player or two solid players. If they want, they, they, they have that option open to them for the first time in a long time. And if you can add one good player through free agency and you get a top five pick that's able to come in and, you know, provide some, provide some offense right away. You know, it, it'll still, a lot will depend on Dylan Strom actually becoming a, you know, the, the, that second line center that we need. So there's a lot of ifs, but it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that this team can compete before the, you know, that, that window shuts now, um, you know, yeah, you know, it's, that's, it's, yeah, that's a hopeful note to end on. Well, what's we'll it right? Of, yeah. Down and we'll end on that upbeat. It's not, there's still a chance for turnaround. Maybe not this year, but yeah. Oh yeah. This year, year this year, I don't see it, but yeah, there's still, there's still fun to be had, uh, in the, in the near future. All right. Well, um, as always, my uh, Twitter handle is STH85 and Michael. MJ underscore Ernst. Yep. And we're, of course, the podcast is on iTunes. And, you know, you can tweet at us if you have any comments on any episodes or want to say anything to us about, you know, 
what we're doing. If we're not doing anything, we're struggling or whatever. You don't like something we do. Let us know. Yep. And um, until next week, uh, we'll talk to you then. All right. Have a good one, Sean. Yep.